everybody. Welcome to the Tech Analyst Podcast. I am Ryan Shrout, Principal Analyst at Shrout Research, joined by Patrick Moorhead, Principal Analyst at More Insight and Strategy. Thanks for joining me, man. Great to be here. I know it took us a little bit of time to get to knock this first one out, but we're here and we're in Hawaii. Yes, that's true. Uh, inaugural episode, if you will. Uh, we are at the Qualcomm Tech Summit in Maui. There are worse places to have to go to for work meetings, <laughs> well, I guess. I, I pretty much am saying right now all product launches need to be here. Yeah, there was, there was a time. I'll never forgive AMD. They had a product launch. <laughs> They had a product named Tahiti and did not do the product launch event in Tahiti. So it was very disappointing. Let me guess. Chris Hook. It, probably. Well, okay. if, chances are if he'd had his way, it would, it would have been in, <laughs> right. in Tahiti. Uh, so welcome, everybody. Um, this show, first episode, basically our goal here is to offer you know, analyst insight and opinions. We're not just going to rehash news here. We want to give you some, some viewpoints that you may not get from other places, but also in a convenient format as well. Something that you can listen to, take on the road. Uh, if you want to subscribe to this, obviously we hope you do. You want to go to thetechanalysts.com. Uh, there will be subscription links there for iTunes, other podcatchers. Uh, we'll be on Spotify, all that type of stuff as well. So check there, thetechanalysts.com. So let's get into it. Um, Qualcomm obviously going to dominate most of our discussion today because they had a huge tech summit. We'll start with the always connected PCs um, powered by Snapdragon. This is not a surprise. <laughs> This is something they've talked about basically since like last December. That's right. That's right. And then kind of moved into uh, uh, Taiwan uh, for the for their ecosystem show. Right. But what wasn't here were specifics on what the systems could do. Yep. Uh, a couple of OEMs uh, names came out, but it, I think for this event really pulled it all together. Yeah. It, they. It had been piecemeal information release. Uh, we like they had announced HP and they had announced yeah. ASUS and they had announced Lenovo. We didn't know what the form factors were going to be. We didn't know. They kept saying better battery life, but not right. what the specific numbers were. And now we know some of that data, right? Uh, claiming what was ASUS claimed twenty two hours of battery life. Uh, I don't know if I saw something specific from HP in that regard, but well beyond what we're used to seeing on traditional consumer notebooks. Definitely. And I think it's confusing because when it comes to 20 hours, uh, people are talking about uh, actual use, mm -hmm. not using, let's say, a mobile mark or something like that. Right. Because today we already see on, on POP and things like that, you know, 17 hours battery life, which just is not the case and particularly not the case if it's always connected over LTE or Wi-Fi. Right. It's interesting. You can't run mobile mark on these devices. It's uh, uh, having we've both been using them for a little while right. and like traditional benchmarks um, not only are less applicable to this platform, but also are kind of fundamentally flawed and how they run because they, they use kernel mode drivers. And uh, the, the, even though this is a full Windows 10, it's, they ship with Windows 10 S. I right. don't know if they were very clear about that during the announcement, but you can upgrade them to Windows 10 uh, for free through September. That's exactly right. Well, you just go to the App Store and you literally type in Windows 10 Pro and boom, it's there like an app. Oh, it's like you're you buying it. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't it's, know it was like it, that. It's okay. a purple icon. It came out of nowhere for me. Uh, when I was using huh. my unit. Huh. Uh, but some of those traditional benchmarks won't work, which is actually maybe a potential positive for Qualcomm because they don't have to fight that battle. That's right. right. Now, I think, they're, I think the, the savvy benchmarkers are going to find ways to benchmark this uh, Always with will. their own stuff. Um, uh, but I, I think it's missing the point a little bit to benchmark like it is today. 
And because part of the value proposition is, is first of all, uh, long battery life being yeah. always connected. So if it's in standby, you're actually syncing your email or even syncing your apps. Yeah, even like if you use Slack for messaging, that is up to date when you open up your machine. That's right. That's right. And some of the test machines, I know you've, you've looked at some early units as well. Mm-hmm. I had to actually go in there and change the setting uh, to, to say, adapter, please don't go to sleep. Uh, when you go into oh, standby, and then yeah. and it worked, uh, it worked really well. Got it. And and it's funny with all the debate, and I think the debate is really good. We're going to see an in-market test happen, right? So we have H, like you said, HP, Lenovo, and ASUS are going to be there. And when I all boil it down, um, we already have Intel PCs that have LTE in them. Sure. Okay. Uh, they don't hit the battery life, and uh, some of them aren't as connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it comes down to the degree uh, of battery life and the degree of software performance. And right. we're going to see if pe- if people bite. Are they are they willing to make that trade? In other words, that's exactly the, right. The assumption in, in a perfect world with perfect marketing, which, right? Which there never is, no. right? And we make the assumption of that based on like these devices that we've used can get the job done, but they are less, like the Intel processors are going to be faster. The, those Intel systems are going to be more performant than the Snapdragon machines. But are you willing to trade some of that performance for exceptional battery life and, and the connectivity? That's exactly right. And, and the irony is we've had this uh, trade-off, this debate before when you saw netbooks. Remember when Ugh, netbooks yeah. with Windows, uh, <laughs> with Windows uh, XP, I think, yeah. versus the full PCs that had Windows 7? Yep. And then slowly, so, uh, and then uh, you had the Core M3 mm-hmm. versus uh, the full-up uh, Core i5. So yep. every day we, we've had this, but this is a new, a new twist here. This whole, it's connected, and it has this incredible battery life that yep. is not just benchmarking battery life, but, but is, is, is the real deal. It's usable. It is, and I can attest now. I have, a very, I have an early production unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have a very early version of, of the operating system, and I'm getting 20 hours of work yeah. uh, out of this thing. I, I agree, and, I, and I've seen the same thing, right? Um, the, the one negative I took away from the whole presentation was really uh, when, when Microsoft was on stage talking about a week battery life. Yeah, it added a new variable. I mean, there's no specification like you would have expected. So typically, if you have um, an ecosystem thing that either is driven by Microsoft or mm-hmm. a processor vendor like Intel, you have a specification. And, and the one that first comes to mind for me is the legacy-free PC. It, it was right. a while ago, but it, it literally just, it was very simple. It had a sheet that said, uh, this is what you need to have to be a legacy-free PC. And the first Windows 8 recommended four devices uh, ha- had this uh, as well. What we don't have here, and that's why, and I was a little shocked when uh, Microsoft's Terry Meyerson got right. up and injected a new, this new variable of a week long. Yeah. And I know he doesn't mean a week of work. Of continuous use. Right, because yeah, we yeah, don't yeah. get that on our smartphones. No. Um, I think it was a week long of Terry's work, of kind of on again, off again, Couple uh, hours a day type mentality, a few hours right. a day mentality. I just, it, it, to, to me, I, I think the idea of claiming that it is a week long battery life is going to come down to someone like you or I yeah. using these devices. Like, okay, we we actually yeah. utilize these eight to ten hours a day. Yeah. That is not that's not like a reasonable goal. Yeah, and I, I did set. talk to Microsoft right 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 after this, yeah. and, and I feel like they know that 
that this could cause some confusion. They okay. realized that that they need to coalesce the forces here. But the question is, is can you coalesce an entire industry? So you not sure. just have you have Microsoft, but uh, but you have Qualcomm, you have the OEMs, and, and Intel. Yeah. Right. I mean, to, to make this thing work, everybody's got to be on the same page. Otherwise, it's going to be confusion. Mm-hmm. And we all know that what happens with consumers' confusion is they just don't buy. You and I were talking earlier about the fact that Microsoft has refused to really define what always connected devices means. Right, right. There's it, no specification oh, for, right. for, okay, you're getting this much data, you're in this low of a power state, there's this quick of a wake-up time. Right. There's nothing like that. And I think that we, we decided that the reason they haven't done that is because Intel and Qualcomm are in different places today with what their technology can do. I think that's likely the case. Uh, another potential could be trying to ring out, uh, ring out to the nth degree what the 835 can deliver. Sure, Okay. Yeah. Because what are we around two months away from actual shipment of these systems? Maybe I, I think less than that online, but retail availability probably two months. Yeah, that could be the case. But I, what I know for certain, unless there's some sort of a checklist and defines what it is, anybody who has LTE in their system can claim they have an always connected PC. Right. And oh, by the way, um, I feel we've degraded a tad from the all, always on, always connected days. Then that. That, that actually says it has a permanent connection, right? It's, right. it's, it's always going that to be was, sticking in the background. Yeah, that was, that was years ago. It was. I yeah. believe it was with Windows RT, WinRT oh, yeah. uh, okay. systems. Yep, yep. This is, this will be, this will, I'm very confident this will have a much different outcome in life than yeah. Windows RT had. Um, and like I said, we've both been using these devices and I'm, I'm very comfortable going on a work trip using this platform. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm really curious to see what it'll be. Lenovo didn't have their device here for us to look at. We'll see that at CES. Uh, but, uh, and I imagine we'll see a lot of changes on that stuff. Yeah. Hey, if I can just uh, throw one more thing on here, I was really impressed at the price point, the 599. Now I realized that was four gig 64 configuration, but, uh, it's a price that doesn't scare anybody off. In my opinion. 799 still seems premium to me. That's where we get into the, the point you made before is if you, you know, you can go out and buy a lot of $799 PCs today, right? Notebooks. So, are, what is your trade off? What are you willing to sacrifice to get all day, two day battery life, you know, claims all week, and depending on what your workload typically is? Um, because it's not, you know, it's in when we talk about netbooks, the, the benefit they had is they were super cheap. That's like, right. right. Those were, you could buy those for $150. Not gonna be able to do that with these. That's right. And, yeah. and I think. I think consumers have gotten a lot more intelligent about uh, what does battery life mean, how is it important. Yeah. But what we're going to have to have there is the reviewers, the point of purchase display material, all the marketing has got to be it's got to be crisp, or or this thing risks not being successful in the channel. Right? right. We'll have all these systems out in the channel. My biggest nightmare here is we've got all these systems in the channel. Consumers get confused. They sit, and the prices get cut where nobody's making any money and we're back to netbooks. Yeah. And people start backing out and they don't want to produce it anymore. So that's <laughs> right. not good. So obviously we'll have a lot more to talk about on these once we spend more time with the devices and uh, start to get a little bit more input from Asus, 
HP, Lenovo, those yeah. guys as well. Something else that Qualcomm uh, is announcing here is Snapdragon 845. So yeah. even though all the machines we just talked about are actually powered by Snapdragon 835, uh, they're announcing the next generation of that, you know, coming to flagship phones in 2018. We assume, you know, the new Samsung Galaxy S9 will have it, you know, the uh, HTC phones, all the Xiaomi. LGs will have it. They'll all, yeah, yeah, Xiaomi was on stage. Um, they'll all be powered by that. Pretty much everybody who's not Apple at premium and mid-range uh, Android phones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's true, right? Yeah. It, it's it's you know, we were talking about earlier, like who who is the the flagship performance Android competition for Qualcomm? Yeah, at this point? probably really the only not. exception to that is Huawei, who does uses their, their own, own high silicon yeah. uh, chips to do that, and then MediaTek is kind of. At the very bottom. Yeah. So we're still waiting on some of the details on 845 that are coming later during this tech summit. So we'll probably follow up with that in another episode of the show. But, you know, more CPU, more GPU. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, they've, they've talked, they've previewed a little bit about kind of, hey, we have this capability to do 3D depth sensing IR as well. You know, I, I'm seeing every, yeah, every flavor of camera you can have. I mean, whether yeah. it's uh, a single lens that does uh, a lot of the depth sensing. Uh, two lenses, one with black and white, and one that would do depth sensing, right? right. Which, which, which I like as well. Because in the end, I mean, Qualcomm is kind of holding the bag for, for the Android yeah. uh, industry here. Yeah. Uh, I think we're gonna see a lot in AI, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, like um, Huawei did is put a single uh, piece of silicon uh, to do uh, neural network right. acceleration, like AI uh, stuff. you know, expecting Qualcomm to leverage uh, the CPU, the GPU, and the DSP mm-hmm. uh, to do this, so, which which is is very different. I'm really interested to see uh, how that ends up because in, in the end, that single piece of silicon wins, but it's very hard to size that right. piece of silicon, right? Yep. Because how much do you need? Uh, you know, how much is too much? How many transistors do you and uh, every, invest in that. every handset vendor is going to be a little bit different about what they want. And so right. Qualcomm has the problem of having to build differently for each of these or then the, attempt to build one part that can address yeah. all of these guys. Whereas, you know, Apple knows exactly what they're going to want, what they can spec out. They build silicon specifically for that target. And Huawei can do the same thing, right. essentially. Yeah, yeah, I'm not expecting a big CPU bump here, which I think is going to yeah. be really interesting to me as 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 apple keeps kind of driving up the score yep. in in integer performance on their processor mm-hmm. and i guess in the in the in the last version the a11 they, they cranked up the uh, multi-threading yep. uh, portion of it for sure uh as as we see the slope of android phones um not peak but but the rate of change is not anywhere near at what apple is bringing out here yeah, that, you're right. Uh, there was I, I wrote a piece today that went up and it talked about we could go into the Broadcom stuff in a little bit, but like you yeah. know who who else could even possibly attempt to keep up with Apple at this point yeah. if not Qualcomm, right? right? And even if they are having trouble keeping up, is is Huawei going to do that? Are they going to invest in silicon in that way? And I don't really think that they will. Uh, or, you know, MediaTek, none of these guys are really up to that up to that standard. So yeah. So we'll have more on Snapdragon 845 soon. They also had a surprise appearance <laughs> from uh, Kevin Linsing from That's AMD right. come out on stage. And when he came out on stage, there was a lot of mumbling and rumbling about what is going on here. There's a lot of chatter. Is out somebody there. buying somebody? Right. Is somebody right. integrating something into an SOC? And it, was in, it ended up being a much less dramatic announcement <laughs> than that. Uh, essentially that AMD's Ryzen mobile platforms 
will have or have the option to include Snapdragon modems on the platform. And that their yeah. reference systems went out with Snapdragon modems on them, which I thought was actually a pretty cool feat, right? Uh, or gestured, I guess. Um, it was, it was uh, to me, it was a little expected, uh, but it did definitely caught me by surprise. So mm-hmm. uh, all the way back uh, with AMD's best of breed strategy for notebooks, I was even still at AMD then, <laughs> right? So uh, AMD was leveraging Qualcomm heavily for Wi-Fi. Yeah. And, and, and even Bluetooth. So it made sense to me. And I think it also helped that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Uh, there's no love lost, obviously, between AMD and Intel. And the right. only other shop in town where you could buy a modem for a PC would be, would be, would be them. Yeah. Samsung isn't currently selling theirs, but, but um, I just I, I, I found that interesting. So to me, reading between that, what that means is they're going to work on power management together, right? That's, yeah. that's, that's really what this says is they have to marry up their power states with well, I don't uh, think this Qualcomm was, modem power was states. Was this an on silicon? No, no. So it's still it's just on board, but they, yeah. my assumption would be that would be their eventual goal, right? Would be to get on silicon modem to the Ryzen Ultimately, SoC. they're going to have to. Yeah. Just the same way that, that uh, uh, AMD had licensed uh, USB technology, right. right? And Ethernet technology, it's going to need... Uh, LTE technology yeah. at some point. Uh, what I know that um, AMD hasn't invested in yet that that was on my mind was RF. Right now, ultimately the OEMs have to make this happen, but they have to integrate. Uh, you you give reference designs to uh, the OEMs to get them kickstarted on this stuff, particularly when it comes to some new uh, form factor. Sure, sure. Let's let's talk about uh, yesterday. I guess it was as we recorded this. Uh, the Broadcom acquisition <laughs> of Qualcomm stuff heated up again. Yeah, as... Great headline, by the way. Hey, thanks. On that yeah, Market Watch appreciate article. that. Uh, but remember, you don't do the headlines. So... I don't do the headlines. Yeah. It's interesting. Just pop, pops I, I submit out like text that. and somebody else makes a headline <laughs> for it. Apparently, my headlines are more mundane than they would like. Um, but basically, Broadcom announced that they were going to nominate to, to replace the board of directors and kind of force this negotiation along. Yeah. Um, Qualcomm still holding firm in its stance that the impression I get is not that, hey, we're never going to sell. It's more that you're not valuing the, the technologies, the products, the innovations that we're going to have, uh, even as you move yeah. forward into 5G, stuff like this Windows on Snapdragon. None of our stock price takes into account all right. of that stuff. Uh, so if you actually want us, you're going to have to increase that that number yeah, quite see, a bit. See, to me, this is a copy and paste of the corporate raider job that Carl Icahn did on Dell. Uh, a ways back, uh, Carl Icahn teed up a bunch of uh, new board members t- uh, to come in there. And and like Dell, I think the conversations that, that's not happening, which is the important one, is strategy. It's like, hey, Broadcom, what's your strategy here uh, to, to grow this combined company? Right. I haven't heard anything about that. All, all I've heard uh, is classic corporate raider type of, of talk, which is all about – uh, making shareholders a fast buck. Now, I, I've, I've written there's nothing wrong with making a fast buck, but you can't destroy the company along the way. And it's not just as simple as spinning QTL off, right? right. What happens to the value of QTL if you cut prices in half uh, and spin it off? Now, yeah. e- even though Broadcom has a history of raising prices uh, when a Vago bought Broadcom. So mm-hmm. there's so many moving pieces here. That, uh, that that 
that I mean, right now, I, I just view this as as Wall Street finance speak with absolutely no stated strategy how the combined entities would be better. And the sad part is, is that could go through with that discussion having never taken place. That's exact. That's exactly right. Uh, so. I don't know if they're telling us move on to the next topic with that or not. Uh, Can we add that to the show? We act, it's in there. Oh, yeah, we right? could have like a little. Uh, when the cameraman gets bored of yeah, the topic, presses the button, Kid and what do you think? <laughs> I, it, it's the general consensus seems to be that Broadcom is not the innovative like R and D powerhouse, right? right? That, that Qualcomm is at least trying to be. And we talked a little bit about yeah. who's going to compete against Apple. If anybody can do it in the mobile space, it's Qualcomm, yeah. right? So if this acquisition were to take place, does that go away? Right. Well, and, and to understand Broadcom, you have to understand it's not really Broadcom. It's Avago. Right. Who right. ended up they buying Avago, buying Broadcom, split it in half. And even Broadcom at the time, they did create a little intellectual property, but they weren't into licensing and moving the long-term ball up the court. They right. weren't investing in research. And Broadcom today is an implementer, not a uh, – everybody creates IP, but they're not a creator of defining IP, mm-hmm. defining a new category of 5G, defining a new category of what 6G will look like. That's not their thing. So if the combined, new combined entity wouldn't do that, who does it? Right. right? It just seems it, like nobody. It, it and, and I think – Apple's a very smart company, right? I think they would know if they would go through that they would get the advantage. And, and it's not yeah. lost on me that Qualcomm is the arms dealer to every one of Apple's competitors. Right. Uh, we saw Xiaomi up on stage. Now number five, we have Oppo, we have Vivo, all these big brands who are leveraging Qualcomm technology it would give the upper hand to Apple for a decade. Yeah, yeah. So more on that as it comes. It seems like this is something that will not be settling down. And I'm not passionate about this. Neither are you. I know. So it's it's <laughs> it's so odd to have to have. For me in this in this environment, it's new to me to have to have these types of discussions and see both sides of this. Yeah. And you know, not like Qualcomm didn't have enough to deal with the Apple lawsuits and well, all I th- that yeah, and on, I think I, I think it's part of the strategy, right? How do you teeter? Uh, I I I think it's very beneficial to Apple. Uh, to Broadcom, and quite frankly, to Samsung, to have Qualcomm off balance. Right. Yeah. Uh, and Broadcom and Apple already have a good working relationship, the assumption right. being that if this acquisition were to take place, suddenly all of these legal disputes would be settled out of court and everybody would be amicable. That is again. absolutely my thesis. Yeah. And uh, Hawk is a, a CEO of Broadcom, major deal maker i gotta give that guy credit he knows how to do deals yeah and it would be a great deal to to walk into apple and 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 talk about that type of an arrangement all right let's finish up we'll talk about a couple of non-qualcomm things uh from this first episode amd epic uh had a pretty good announcement today i guess it was about coming in online you can now set up azure that's right. It. Yeah, it's, it's focused uh, right now on storage instances, and so you're talking about Cassandra uh, storage applications like that, and you okay. can actually go in and test your applications uh, on them. And the reason I think this is so significant is uh, myself and obviously the company and the other analysts in it, we've been tracking uh, the whole non-Intel server space forever. Right, right. Uh, and it's been uh, small. It is. Well we, well, we saw Calzada come in, and they're out of the market. Uh, we saw Applied Micro come in, mm-hmm. uh, and they got bought and basically, I think, shelved. 
um, and um, uh, we have a lot of people who, who haven't been able to get traction. And what makes this so significant to me, it's, it's the first large non-Intel deployment that I've heard of in seven hmm. years. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a, a pretty big deal. Now, the one thing that stuck out for me was that it's, it's a storage deployment. Nothing wrong with, I mean, big data is big data, sure, sure. but it also takes advantage of their single socket. Uh, I call it a clean kill. I mean, their best value proposition is in single socket. They have a good two socket value proposition. On that single socket. Yeah, it, yeah. it, it is, is, is huge. Uh, the memory capabilities that it brings to the table is truly differentiated. Um, and I think we'll see a lot more storage now. What I'd like to see is is virtualized workloads, right? Um, and I, I think along with that, uh, this HPE DL three eighty five announcement yeah. was pretty big. Yeah, it was kind of a shocker to me. You know, HPE really leaned into virtualized workloads, which I hadn't necessarily. Well, I think they claimed like fifty percent lower cost per VM of previous platforms. That's right. right. That's right. Now, what I'd like to see is a price performance per VM with a certain workload, because you're not running virtualization. You're it's not, not just. You're not. They're not just sitting there. Exactly. Once you run. Something right. sitting on top uh, of those, and right. and what I'd like to see, uh, or maybe Intel can can create it, is some <laughs> you know price performance per virtualized application. I'm sure, they're working on it. I'm sure they're working on it. <laughs> Yeah, and they also, and that was the serve, the system. That, I mean, they did make some performance claims with that system because they basically made specant. I think they had two different specant benchmark they world did. records, right? So they they see the value in the performance side of it. Uh, but I, I think you're right, and and it needs to be some workload, some database application, yeah. something that people can actually you know put weight behind. Because yeah. uh, so so the cool part about good, the but, cool part about the naming and listen. Server naming is not as cool as consumer <laughs> naming, but the DL three eighty five used to be the best selling two uh, P system uh, when it had Optimum. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, back in uh, back in the mid uh, not the mid two thousands, but right when Optron came out, yeah, early two thousands, took, took took it by storm, and a lot of people don't remember this, but AMD had almost thirty percent of the server market, right. right? And then Intel came in and took that thirty percent uh, away, shut down a, a couple other people. As well, but it, it it was called the DL three eighty five. So huh. kind of thought that huh. was cool that uh, they brought back the name uh, of of the best selling two uh, P server that HP had. And then as you mentioned something else before we started on the server side is IBM's reintroduction of the power. It is. This is really cool. So uh, uh, it's kind of a market background. So Intel has ninety nine ninety eight percent of the server uh, market share. Uh, out there, and you know, a lot of people like Qualcomm with Centrique. Um, a lot of people are coming in to, to do that. Another one that we sometimes forget about because it's not as mainstream is IBM Power. Mm-hmm. So, and Power architecture is classic big core, like the biggest Xeon Plus. Right, it uses buffered memory. I mean, it's it's a beast. But the cool thing that they did here is that they created an architecture for accelerators, a new one. They had with this in Power Eight. But not only do they have PCIe Gen 4, so it's the first system to have Gen 4, okay. it has NVLink 2, uh, and it has what's called OpenCAPI, uh, which, which is another accelerator standard. So right. it's kind of like the Swiss Army knife of accelerators. <laughs> right? We open up a PC, and we see PCIe and maybe, maybe an M.2 or something like that. Right, right. This thing has uh, 25G links. It, it's insane. So... In the end, 
uh, it's seven to ten x more capability uh, on throughput than PCIe Gen three. Now, interesting. You're going to throw, you know, you're not going to throw a, you know, a Titan in there. It's not going to make a difference. It doesn't okay. generate enough data. But what you're going to do is you're going to throw in uh, up to six. Uh, V1 NVIDIA V100s. Okay. Up to six. Okay. You can imagine them. You, you typically see them in, in, in orders of two. Right. This is six, uh, where you would need uh, all that bandwidth. And what that translates into that's so cool is it's very simple, just faster machine learning. Yeah. Uh, and NHPC and um, more dense. That's right. And, and now well. Google gave their support. They're not saying we're deploying. Okay. Right. Um, which was a little disappointing because yep. I wanted to hear them say the word deploy. Uh, but the Coral Supercomputers, which is this collaboration between Livermore Labs, uh, Oak Ridge, um, they're already deploying. Okay. And, and they're seeing 10x improvements uh, over the prior supercomputer that was in there on machine machine learning uh, workloads. Interesting. Yeah, total dark horse. Right. You don't read right. about it a lot, right? It's super interesting to see all of this kind of come about, right? We we had the Qualcomm Centrique server announcements. Right. We've got Epic. We now we've got IBM. All kind of going after this market that Intel <laughs> has enjoyed ninety nine percent market share of. And you know that those guys in there are pulling their hair out because yeah. there's literally nothing they could do. They could build the perfect Xeon scalable platforms, and there's going to be some yeah. degradation of market share yeah. for them going. Yeah. Forward. Listen, I give DCG total credit because yeah. this this. What they've done is they, uh, I consider it whack-a-mole. So if you remember when the first ARM servers came out, they're like, hey, watch this. And they did Atom, microservers. Right. Right. And then they said, well, you don't have an SOC. Oh, here's Xeon D. And then people said, oh, you don't have Fabric to pull it all together. And they buy two Fabric companies, okay, right. uh, to, to pull this all together. So I have to give Intel's DCG a lot of credit. But like you said, and, and I tell this to everybody, People will gain market share just because markets don't like ninety nine percent. They don't want. They don't want. I don't want to use the term monopoly necessarily, yeah. but like they don't want one player controlling everything. In this exactly, regard. and and I think we we are gonna. I mean, it's gonna happen. I mean, AMD yeah. is going to do, has deployed. Yep. Uh, and I know from the people who got up on stage uh, at AMD's Epic launch who said they were gonna deploy, and then we add that to uh, the Centric mm-hmm. uh, folks. Who are a little light on using the word deployment? Yep. Uh, so I'm, you know, looking forward to that. And and I was talking to an IBM executive uh, a couple of days ago, and and they said that they've most all the people they have on their Power AI framework uh, are going to be shipping uh, to them within the month. Very cool. So that's going to happen as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty much it. I think that's uh, that's going to wrap up the first episode. Uh, again, it's the tech analysts.com go there you'll find all subscription links audio files uh we'll post we, we don't really know exactly what our schedule is going to be for this it might be one a week might be a couple of weeks depending on how busy the topics are and how busy we are and travel and all that type of stuff as well um but uh subscribe there we'll be back for more uh on the next episode thanks Pat. thank you good stuff mm-hmm.